We like to have fun around here, don't we? Uh, and someone needs to tell Shibu that Deck the Halls is not a gift. Because, <laughs> man. Well, hey, uh, how we doing? We okay? Some, some of you are like, why are you showing blooper videos and why are you sitting down? Do your job, man. Stand up and preach. Uh, but uh, something a little different today. Uh, I was thinking about Christmas, obviously, and um, the holiday season. And I, I was reminded of this moment, the first moment in my um, relationship with Kristen where I met her parents. Do you remember that meet the parents moment that, that maybe you had? It was around like Thanksgiving or Christmas perhaps. And there was an invitation to the meal, the, the big meal that everybody's having and you were gonna come over. And um, I, that was me uh, uh, over uh, 10 years ago. And I, I remember being really excited but also really nervous about this meal because um, I just, you know, I had all these questions like what, what was it gonna be like? Was I going to like them? Better yet, were they gonna like me? And, and um, here, this gets really inside my head a little bit. Um, when I was you know, 22, 23 dating Kristen, I had this question of like, what if she has a huge family and there's too many like aunts and uncles that sit at the big kids table and we get relegated to the little kids table? Like, what if that happens? There's no space for us at the big kids table. Like, that was my, my sincere thought more than like, would I be a fool? And um, I remember showing up and, and knocking on the door and, and being there and smiling and my, her mom greeted me and welcomed me in and she showed me in and I looked around at the table and there was a little place holder name tag at the table and it said, Dan. And I, I instantly felt like, oh, at this table, I'm welcome. Like I'm, I'm part of the family. It's one of the best feelings. I also, I don't know if you had this moment, if you've ever moved schools, maybe you could put yourself back in middle school. And I remember um, that, that moment when you tried to figure out the lunchroom situation as a kid. Maybe you had just moved communities to a brand new place and one of your big anxieties was like, where, was I, where am I going to sit uh, for lunch or who am I going to sit with? Or maybe you, know, you had something happen that put you in a situation where you were late to lunch one day and the people that you normally sat with, you got to the table and it was already full and you realized you didn't have a space to be and so you felt really pushed out, you felt alone. And isn't it true, some of our, our best moments and some of our lowest moments in life revolve around this question, is there space for me at the table. This is a season that we're in as a church. It's, it's called Advent. It's, it's one of the seasons of preparation. It's, it's, we said this in week one of the series that what hosting does in our homes, Advent does in our hearts. Uh, we prepare room for our guests to be welcome and to stay with us uh, in our homes and to, to enjoy the holiday season together. And in our hearts, we take time to reflect back upon the story of Jesus coming to earth so that we can have uh, the joy of God in our lives. And, and we've ripped out a, a line from the, the song, Joy to the World, that just gets right to the heart of this. It says, joy to the Lord, the Lord has come, let every heart prepare him room. Room. That, that's, that's what I want us to think about today, room. Because whether you've put that word into the story of Christmas or not, it's actually one of the central features of Christmas, room. Um, in fact, many of us have replicas of the room that Jesus was born in. I want to show of hands, uh, people who are bold enough to, to, to say, uh, how many of you have in your house a nativity set on display? Come on now, either in your front yard, on your roof, total Clark Griswold style, I don't know. Nativity scenes, right? Like where I came from in, in the community back in Indiana, there was a church called the Church of the Nativity and they had a 24-7 nativity scene all the way. It, <clears throat> have, have you ever stopped to think about how absolutely weird it is that we put the room where Jesus was born in our front yard? I don't know about you, but on my birthday, 
I've never thought to go get a small scale replica of the room that I was born in and put it on display. But we do this with Jesus, don't we? I mean, we've got like the, 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 the fun version. We've got like the minimalist version for all of you artsy people. You know, some of you are more about like the, the shapes and sizes, kind of mirrors like what we did with our, um, how, how many of you have like this nativity scene right here? Come on, you know what I'm talking about right here? Yeah, yeah, this is, this is, now we're talking. We're living large here with this one. This is um, uh, baby Jesus, I think is a carrot, a baby carrot, that's cute. And Joseph, I think this is Mary. She looks really exhausted and, um, and then the shepherds, and I was informed that these aren't sheep, these are peas. I didn't know, but now I know. And these guys don't belong over there. They belong over, maybe over here on the hills, and the shepherds watching them. So um, that's just, that's for me today. This is, this is my rep replica of the room that Jesus was born in. Creepy, right? I mean, that's totally, totally weird that we do this. I don't know why we do this, but we do this. I... I find that not only is it weird that we celebrate the Christmas season by putting a reproduction of the room that Jesus laid his head in, but there's also a, there's a line in the Christmas story that I rush past every time I share this story with my kids. And I think we should pause on it today. I think we should actually think about it for a moment. It would probably do us good to, to reflect closely upon what happened that, that day. It's found in Luke chapter two, verse seven. It says, that, and you, you know this, she gave birth to her firstborn a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was, everybody say it with me, no room for them in the inn. Man, I hardly pause on those last words there because it's so normal for us to hear these words. There was no room for them in the inn. So of course she, laid, she did what everybody would do. She put the baby in a manger. Wouldn't you do that, right? Like that's totally normal. <laughs> Not. There was no room for them, no room. You know, it's this type of detail in the Bible that really captures my attention because to say there was no room for him presupposes this, this expectation that maybe you thought there would be room for him. Back maybe in like the 90s or early 2000s before we kind of figured out hotels and, and how to book rooms securely online. Um, did you ever have that moment where you took a trip and you called in your reservation to the hotel only to get there and find out that they had lost your reservation? There was no room. This happened to me growing up like five or six times in my childhood. I don't know if it really happened as I reflect on it now or if my dad just never made the call and told us all he did. <laughs> but if you've ever been in this situation, you know that this story, it never ends but by you telling your friends, but it was okay because the Ritz-Carlton was next door and they gave us a room for free. That's never how that story ends. It always ends by, by someone saying, yeah, and you wouldn't believe the type of place we had to stay in. Instead, it was like the Bates Motel, right? When there's no room, it doesn't mean there's going to be a good room. It means that actually what's happening is, is something even, even worse. And there's no room. No room. We expect there to be room, but, but, but there was no room for them in the end. And this also means that there was a person who looked Joseph square in the eye and saw his pregnant in labor wife and said to him, sorry, pal, figure it out on your own. Could you imagine what that must have been like? Now, we could blame a lot of things for this. We could blame the Romans. They ordered hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people to mass migrate within just a few short weeks back to their city of origin to take a census so they could be taxed. 
The Romans created this policy overloading the hospitality industry, and it was the great end shortage of zero AD. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I wrote it, and I ran down the hall, and I told somebody, and they, they laughed. First service didn't laugh either. <laughs> Maybe it's not that funny. Okay, so we could blame the Romans. We could blame the innkeeper. How could you have no room? Like, you keep inns. Have an inn. We, we could blame Joseph's family, right? I mean, he, it's his family's hometown. Surely there could have been like a compassionate aunt or uncle who would have seen their plight and taken them in, right? Wow. How, the, how, how, how is there no room for them? But though there was no room in Bethlehem, the rest of the Christmas story is actually all about room. Let me show it to you. Um, Luke moves from the manger scene here in verse 8 all the way to shepherds who are out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And you know this part. The angel of the Lord appears to him and the glory shines around him and they're so afraid. And, and um, the shepherds, they, they, they fall down in fear. And the angel says this. The angel announces and says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause, everybody say great joy. Great joy. For, and then all the people. You know, just like I become numb to the fact that there was no room for them in the inn, I think this is another line that gets lost on us. It will cause great joy for all the people. You know, Bethlehem had no room for others, but this angelic announcement, what we call the good news, this, this good news that the angel shares, the good news has room for others. The good news has room for others. I, I, that's a really good news for us. I imagine the angel saying this, I, the angel, bring you, the shepherds, this good news that's going to cause great joy for all the people. Why? I'm telling you something that everyone will rejoice in. I'm telling you something that is meant for everyone. The fact that the angels tell the shepherds something that was meant for everyone meant that the shepherds got to be the first servants of this king, the first people who understood the good news and could share the good news. And their job was going to be helping everyone know that this baby was for then, that in this king's kingdom, there's room for everyone. I imagine the, shep the shepherds looking up and the angel saying, now shepherds, you're going to find the sign. There's babies wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger because, you know, there's no room for them in the end. So, so go and, and find this, 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 this baby. Or I maybe say it this way. Maybe it was really more like, find your king sleeping in a sheep's pen nearby. <laughs> yes. I think the good news has room. It has room for the shepherds and it has room for those in Bethlehem, but it also has room for you and me because you and I are the all the people. The other day I was looking um, through some documents and boxes and you know how like you collect all the things from your childhood that your parents give you when you move out of the house and you just throw it in a box and I needed one of those things the other day and I so rifling through all these, this, this memorabilia of my life. And I stumbled across this. This was a treasure to me. Is this not the cutest baby you've ever seen? You have to say yes, because it's me. <laughs> cutest. Um, I showed this to Tom Bronner. I was born in the mid-'80s. And uh, Tom has had kids in the mid-'80s. And he looked at that car seat. And he astutely acknowledged that there are zero straps or buckles in it. <laughs> And he said, yeah, back in the 80s, those were suggestions. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I made it. 
My parents also put a football and a basketball uh, in my hands. Man, were they wrong. <laughs> so what I want to show you, though, is, is actually down here. It's, it's this. Um, before there was Facebook, I know. But before there was Facebook, we used to make announcements of really important things in the paper. I was literally people in the news. I don't know if you guys know this, guys. I'm kind of a big deal. I was in the newspaper. And it goes on. It's a, it's a wonderful article. I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly uh, 110 words. And it's all about me coming into the world. I won't bore you with the details, but, um, you know, when I see news announcements on Facebook or in the newspaper, I, I often have this thought of, like, man, good for them. Like, oh, that's so great. And that's kind of our reaction to news that someone had a child. Wow, good for them. But when the shepherds receive the news from the angels, because the good news has room for others, the, the news and the response was actually not good for Mary and Joseph. The reaction was, wow, good for, good for me. Today is born to me. I'm the recipient of this child. This news is really important. This news is something that I can actually enter into. This news is it's meant for, for me. And that's truly the good news of Jesus' birth is that it's news for all people. I just want to say that because some of us here today in this space are just curious about Jesus. And you're wondering, like, is there space in this, this, this thing of faith for me, someone like me? And, and, and I want to say this. The angel's news means yes, because, because he is good news for all people. That means you belong. That means I belong. That there's room in Jesus for us. And that's what the shepherds heard. And so they raced to see the thing. They, they left their sheep and they raced to see the, my characters are so great. Um, they raced to see the thing that God had told them and what the angels said. And if this wasn't already like the craziest, wildest, most stressful night of Joseph and Mary's life, here came a gang of shepherds to celebrate their child. I mean, seriously, this is a weird night, guys. And the shepherds to leave a field would be to essentially quit their work be to forfeit their paycheck. They had one job to do. It was to live with the sheep and to, to take care of the sheep and to do otherwise would be to walk off the job. So they risked their livelihood and, it, and, and, and they raced together. And Mary and Joseph must have asked the question, well, how did they know that we had a baby here in this stable? And why would they risk their lives to come see him? And, and we see the clue in verse 17 of Luke 2. He says this, when, when the shepherds had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been done or what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I think it's incredible that the shepherds went to the baby. I think it's in incredible that, that these, this group of people were invited into this moment here. You know, we often wonder the question, why shepherds? Why, why shepherds? Why, if, if Jesus was truly a king, if Jesus was truly someone who was of uh, divine status, why wasn't somebody who was a little bit higher up in society picked to be the one to host the child? Like, why couldn't Mary have found a home with a nobleman? Well, I, I think had there been room for Mary and Joseph in a nobleman's house, as maybe you and I would expect would be worth Jesus' entrance into the world, I think that would have been an obstacle in the way of the shepherds showing up to see Jesus. I don't know that they would have been so eager to climb to the crib to celebrate this baby born savior of the world. You know, we have a pretty inclusive society today, but it wasn't that way back then. You know, uh, back then, had, had the shepherds heard that there was born this day in a room 
high up in a castle, a, a child who is going to save the world, and you should go, the shepherds probably would have said, yeah, no, we're not welcome there. Why? Well, there's too many obstacles. There's the obstacle of status. To, to, to exceed their status and go to a place beyond a stable would have meant that they would have, uh, they, they would have violated that. They were the lowest status in society. It would have also violated the rights of privacy. They weren't invited into the nobleman's house and past his guards and up the stairs. They would have also violated the rules of cleanliness. I don't know if you've hung out with shepherds lately, but they don't necessarily smell like Bath and Body Works. For, for them to hear the news and go and turn in, in haste, to, to like immediately go, would have meant they didn't have time to clean themselves up and to go to a nobleman's house would have required them to actually go to the temple and purify themselves first before they could go to somebody else's house. But because it was a stable, they could just go and, and be where they were welcomed already. But I think most of all, the reason they wouldn't have gone is the shame that that would have brought upon them. They would have been ridiculed by all. But God made it so that his son, when he came into this world, was born in a place where even the shepherds could come, a stable. God removed all of the obstacles that were in their way on their journey to Jesus. And here's what I want us to see today. When we think about room for others, we see the good news has room for others, but also Mary delivered this child in a stable. Why? Because the stable had room for others. God saw fit that other people could be there and worship him the night that he first came into this world. Now I think about the shepherds rushing to see this newborn king who was in a stable. It's almost like their home turf. They must have felt at home around this child. They must have thought, wow, this, this savior is a, is a savior for even me too. That God has made room for me too. That in that stable, they must have come to faith as they saw what they were told and they believed what was said about the child. There's something about finding God in unexpected places that's always been at the core of our faith and I think has always been at the core of our church. You know, this church, Heartland, if you're, if you're new, to, new to here like I am, it's just interesting to hear that this church did not start out as a huge institution funded by a lot of people to, to you know, be as big as we are. It started as a tiny movement of people who were committed to removing every and any obstacle on people's journey to finding Jesus. Our first home was in a basement. And then once there was no room for others in that basement, there was a school that was purchased. And then slowly the church continued to grow. And once that school became so crowded that people couldn't find their way in and the neighbors were sick of us, so there was a warehouse. It used to be a furniture sales place. It was Rhodes Furniture, which was this building right here. And God provided room for us, his people, so that we could remove every obstacle that would exist in the way of people on their journey to Jesus. And that's always been at the core of who we are as Heartland. I love the story of Larry, who a couple weeks ago reminded me that um, it, was, it was a couple weeks in a row that when he first came to Heartland, he, he sat in his car out in the parking lot and wondered if he would be accepted, if the building would literally fall on him as he entered into the doors. And for a couple weeks in a row, he just stayed in his car said a prayer, and then drove away. Until finally he worked up the courage to actually move from his car into the atrium. And once he got in the atrium, he felt the welcome home of Heartland, who introduced him to Jesus, who's radically changed his life. He found God here, 
an old warehouse. And listen, I'm, um, I'm new here, so I don't wanna be offensive. So if what I say next is offensive, can you all just forgive me in advance? That's a social contract these days, that works, right? Um, so I have a nickname for this building that I haven't really ever told anybody because I just think about it in my head as I drive in. And um, it's not anything that I want to like make the, the name of our church or anything, but it's just a, it's a way that I think God has called people who come here and make this their home. It's just a little thing for us to, to, to be reminded of what is this place? Like, what is this building? So here, here's, here's the nickname. I, I, I drive in uh, on a regular basis many times every week here to this building and I turn in off a string line road and I avoid the temptation to go to McDonald's and I keep driving and I often look at this building and I call it the string line stable. That's not offensive, is it? I mean, I'm kind of referring to all of us as sheep, which are the dumbest animals, but that's not offensive, right? Here's, here's, why, here's why I think about it that way. It's because God has called me to be a pastor. You know, what a pastor is, is another word in the pastor is, in the Bible for a pastor is shepherd. Someone who takes care of the people of faith. It's someone who gathers together those who are, are sometimes scattered and sometimes wandering, sometimes lost, and brings them back into a place of safety and, and vitality and flourishing. The string line stable reminds me that God in his Wisdom has made space for people who are far away to come and find his son. As I drive in, I look at this building, I think about all the ways that people come here and hear the good news about Jesus and have their hearts alive into the fact that God came not just for the elite, but for shepherds, for, for the every man, for the every woman, that, that God cares about us and that this would be a place where people could actually find hope and find healing. My hope for us is not that we would be, um, you know, a financial planning place where you can come and figure out how to be successful. And my hope is not that we'd even, you know, be a hospital where hurting people can be healed. My hope is that we can be a stable where anyone and everyone can find that the Savior was born for them too. So if you refer to the string line stable, I'll blame it on Brad. But I just want you to know that's, that's how I think about it. There's room in God's... God's, God's world for others in the stable. The stable, I think it validated the message that the shepherds have good news and God didn't leave us alone. They had good news we're sharing and celebrating. So, so here, here's what happened. The shepherds returned, they glorified and praised God for all the things they had heard and seen just as they were said. They were just as they had been told. And there's this thing that happens at the end of Luke's gospel. So Luke's the guy who wrote this account for us. And in Luke chapter 22, he ties this theme of Jesus's life together. I think about all the things that this baby who was born in the manger would go on to say about room in his life. And I don't have time to cover all of them, but he would say things like, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Almost as if to say, like, the, like, like, room in this world is not my concern. And then John 14, his, he tells his disciples that I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you because I need to go away and I need to make space for you. I'm going to go prepare room in my father's house, which, by the way, has many rooms for you. But the, the thing that gets me is the, is the days just before Jesus dies. In Luke chapter 22, Luke kind of gives us this clue to tie Jesus' life all together to show us how Jesus in his whole entire life was making room for others. It's just a couple days before Jesus' death, his disciples don't realize that they're caught up in the spirit of the holiday, the spirit of Passover. 
They asked Jesus, where should they go to make provision for the meal together? And Jesus, at this point, he's 33 years old and he's proven himself to know all things. I want to show you what he says. This is crazy because he, he, he kind of predicts what's going to happen. He replied, as you enter the city, which is Jerusalem, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. That's not creepy either. Say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? I imagine that first Christmas when Mary is, you know, nine centimeters and, and screaming off the donkey and said, Joseph, find me a place. He's knocking on doors asking, where is the guest room so that my wife can give labor? And here's Jesus at the end of his life sending his disciples to say, hey, where is the guest room that I may celebrate together? But he will not turn you away. He will show you a large room upstairs all furnished. Make preparations there. Essentially, prepare me room there. And they left and they found things just as Jesus had told them. The shepherds saw the Savior in a manger just as they had been told and the disciples found this guest room just as they had been told. And there's these links in the Bible that are not so coincidental. They're not accidental. They're actually really intentional. Just like there's room for others in the stable, there, there, there's room for others, Jesus wants us to know here, what I want to call the table. There's room for others in the stable, but, but, but at the end of Jesus' life, the room would be around a table. You see, the table has room for others. For us who are New Testament Christians who follow Jesus, we, we look at the table as a place of ultimate gathering and ultimate remembrance and ultimate celebration of the redemption found in this baby who would grow up and do something even more miraculous than just be born. And so what Jesus did at the table in that upper room was eat and celebrate God's deliverance. The, the Passover was a celebration that linked back to the Exodus from Egypt centuries before. The table of that day had, had bread and had wine. It would, have, it would have been something akin to this, and some, some bread and multiple glasses of wine that each one represented a symbolic moment of their history. The bread represented the affliction that they experienced in Egypt and the hasty freedom that they achieved when they left Egypt. And the wine was a symbol of redemption and judgment, even the future redemption that was to come. And at the meal that they would gather together in the Passover, there would be an empty chair for the prophet Elijah to come again. And you'd want to see just maybe this would be the year that Elijah would come. They would make space even for others outside of their own families to be able to participate in this meal. But at this particular Passover meal, Jesus lifted the bread and he gave it to everyone. And then he said, this bread represents the affliction that my body is about to undergo. He says, eat of it so that you can remember me. And then he took the cup and he said, this likewise represents the new redemption or a new covenant that is going to become possible because of my blood. Drink of it, everyone, that you can remember my forgiveness that I'm about to make possible for you. You say, well, why do we take such a right turn from Christmas to Passover? Well, here's why. It's because the Christian faith is communal. We've always been a people who the, the good news about Jesus being Savior is not just an individual act for us to celebrate and be happy about. It's something for us to participate in together. When we come to tables, some churches call this table communion or some call it Eucharist or the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. But when we come to whatever you call it, this table to remember the work of Jesus, we are instructed to make room for others. 
In fact, when Paul was writing to one church, the church in Corinth, he gave them this instructions. I want you to see it. It's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11.33. It says, so my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, this is crazy. Look what it says. Wait for each other. So how you and I make room for others at this table is actually really important to our faith. Isn't it interesting that our faith in Jesus isn't possible to be lived out without other people around us? See, Mary's delivery of this child was not just some private event between her and a baby. It was a blessing for all people. And her son's life and death wasn't just a private act between the father and the son. It was a blessing for all people. And now this act that we're going to partake together in here, this act of taking communion, is not just a private act between me and God or between you and God, but it is a blessing to be shared by all people. We are to wait for each other. We, we are to actually remember that this redemption is not just something that changes my life, but it can change your life too. It's something that I share in with you. It's something that we extend to others. It's something that when we take the bread and the cup, we're actually proclaiming to one another that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who is for all people who would believe. When, when, we, when we see the table, we are instructed to bring people to it, which means you and I are the shepherds. In the Christmas story, this is us. We're just shepherds, which is greatness. Because you don't have to have a degree to be a shepherd. And you don't have to have a pedigree to be a shepherd. Anyone is welcome. And Jesus looked at his table at the end of his life and said, what I'm about to do on the cross is going to make it possible so that my arms will stretch a little bit wider for all who would believe to come and have place, have room at the table for my grace. You know, Christmas is a time where we open our doors of our church and we let everybody in and we want to make, make much of Jesus. But I want to ask you a couple of questions before we move to a moment where we take communion together. I want to ask you a couple of questions. How are you making room for others in your life right now? Do you have open spaces around your table where you can leave room for others to gather and to share meals together? If you don't, I want to encourage you to go find a bigger table to go knock on some doors, to extend invitations to coworkers and, you know, the parents that you sit in the bleachers with at your kids' sporting events, and just to open up your table for people to experience the welcome home of God through your own hospitality. How are you making um, room for others this Christmas in your time? Isn't there a dirty secret about the holidays where, like, we all just crash on January 2nd and kind of glad we got through it? It can be really stressful. It can be really time-consuming. And if we don't budget our time, we could be guilty of keeping all of our time for ourselves instead of serving others and being there and present for others and welcoming others in. How about your actual financial budget? I know pastors and money don't mix, but I, I wonder, if this Christmas season, have you taken full advantage of the opportunity to be generous towards others? Not just through gifts from the heart, but I love that our church crushed that goal. That's such a beautiful thing. I think it honors God when we do that. But I, you see so many opportunities around you in your office and, and, and in your work and on your block. Are you able to give to others because you love them? 
And then I think about this place. Who, who are you bringing to the stable on Christmas Eve? As a shepherd, who are you bringing with to, to find the hope of Jesus so that they can experience new life and they can come to the table and worship him and remember that he made space for them too? You see, this is a season that isn't just a private event. This is a moment for us to look around the room and say, man, I'm so glad you're here. And look at all the space we have for more. What would happen if we brought more here is that God would truly fill us up. And that's good news, is that at this table, there is space, there is room for every single one of us because Jesus had done the greatest thing. He had lived the perfect life. He died our death so that by faith in him, our sins could be forgiven and we could join a family together, united around one person, and person is Jesus.